Well, good evening, everyone. I'm so glad to have you folks with us again in this second study in the book of Matthew. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles tonight to the first chapter of Matthew, we'll be looking at verses 18 through 25. While you're turning there, just a short recap on what we studied last week. We considered the first 18 or 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1, the introduction to the birth of Christ, and exactly how Matthew has it, he shows the generations. And what we see in the generations is the promises of God being manifested in, deliver, in providing us with a deliverer, a Messiah, a Savior. And this one, and, and tonight we'll see where this one is called Savior. But in that first study... We went through and saw the line in particular, the genealogical, genealogical line where Christ would come from. It was, that was the promise of God. That was the promise of God, that the Savior would come through the line, through the seed, not seeds, but through the seed of Abraham. One seed, as we read in last week's message. And tonight we'll see that even deeper. Would you join me in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25? Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, engaged, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, verse 19, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, this is verse 23, Behold, this is what the prophets of old were saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Verse 24, Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. That scripture that it's referring to there, that scripture would be fulfilled, that's over in Isaiah chapter 7. We read in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall, be, shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Emmanuel. And as we see here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, this one 
is Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. What a mystery. You know, such I'm not ashamed to admit the simplicity of this mind who sits before you. I, 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 I cannot comprehend many of the things that God has given us in his word. I, I comprehend how God, the creator of everything that is, the, the, the creator of worlds, of all the worlds and all the, all the skies and all the heavens, he who is above all things, how could he be manifest in the flesh? Well, he shows us right here, but I, I may not understand it completely. I know there's only been one ever recorded uh, as being a, a virgin birth. What a mysterious thing. God in human flesh, God with us. That's what our text is all about this evening. He who created all that is, manifesting himself in human form. What a mystery. A thing unknown of any other woman to be with child without knowing a man. A thing we cannot explain of how it came to be, yet the people of God, we believe, don't we? We believe. We believe this to be true. How can one explain the mysteries of godliness? Who can understand the depth of what the Holy Spirit does? Listen to these words in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 5. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, that's what we're talking about here just a moment ago, who can understand the depth of or the ways of the Holy Spirit. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Without controversy, without, without exception, without argument, we declare, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on, and the world received up into glory. What a gracious thing for this truth, this truth of who God is. In the flesh, who this one is, this baby child that we're reading about, this one to be born of a virgin. What a gracious thing to know the truth and to have his truth revealed to a cold, spiritually dead soul. That's what we all were before the Lord comes to us. Before the Lord in his power comes to his people and says, live, we are cold and spiritually dead. Look over at chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16. Turn over there if you would for just a moment. There's just a couple verses I want to read there. Matthew chapter 16. And we see there in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18, and when Jesus came to the coast, into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or maybe one of the prophets. 
He said, he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Now we're talking here, my last statement was, What a gracious thing for this truth, this truth of who that baby child is. And this is telling us here right now why this is gracious. It's because not everybody knows. Not everybody receives the word of men. But everybody who is given the word of God through the spirit of God, by the power of God, shall receive it. Listen to these words. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. What a gracious thing for this truth to be revealed to a cold, dead, spiritual, spiritually dead soul. Page 2. In Galatians 4, 4, we read these words, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. This is exactly what the first 17 verses were all about, the fullness of time. That's what it was given us there, the fullness of time. From the time of Abraham, when the promise was made, to the time that that promise came into this world, was the fullness of that time, the appointed day, the day when the genealogy prophesied of would be fulfilled. God became flesh. This one we see in our text came not with Adam's nature, the nature of sin, for he came from the Holy Ghost. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, is what we read in verse 20. And to have the true understanding of whom this is, we must be taught of God, because flesh and blood cannot speak to the heart. In John 6, verse 44 through 30, 45, we read this, No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. It is written in the prophets in the Old Testament, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father, cometh unto me. You say, why, John, it's no big deal. Everyone knows this child as Jesus of Nazareth. That may be true, but they do not, but not everyone knows him as their personal Savior. They, they do not know him in truth. They may know of him, but they do not know him as their personal Savior. He's the God-man. He's perfect and holy in every way. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's creator of everything that was. He created it. He created all that is by himself, for himself, and through himself. This is God's graciousness to his people. Where we read, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Folks, if not for Christ Jesus, God in human form, none could be saved. Sin must be dealt with. A price must be paid. Justice must be met. Flesh must die. God, For God to save his people, a people loved by him from before the foundation of the world, his justice must be met. Sin 
must be punished. Page 3. Look over. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Look with me over there in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, let's go over there. And Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Look with me if you would over there in chapter 10 verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to, to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered. Now remember the sacrifices were introduced to the people of God there at Mount Sinai by, by uh, Moses. So this is thousands of years after Abraham, but Abraham knew of the same sacrifices to God. God taught him just as he taught, teaches each and every one of his people. These sacrifices are, nothing of the, are, are, are the law that God has written on every man's heart. Every man, all the way back to Adam. A law having a shadow of good things to come, and then it speaks of the, the sacrifices, not that the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. All of those sacrifices of the law never, never made the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have cause to be offered. Because, the, because that the worshipers once purged, once cleansed, should have had no more conscience of sin. If your sins have been purged, then you're then it's no longer part of that conscience, part of that awareness. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of the sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he has come into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Verse 7, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which were offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will. He takes away the first to establish the second, by the which will, by his will, by that that he had done. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And it goes on to explain why. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but this man. Now remember, Jesus Christ only had to do that sacrifice once, and it was the sacrifice of himself. So here's why. Here's why. But this man, or here, here's the result. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Why? Because he's God Almighty, that's why. He's perfect in every way. The justice of God was satisfied. As I mentioned a moment ago, sin had to be justified. Verse 13, From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected, past tense, forever them 
that are sanctified, them that are set apart. A body, it says, thou hast prepared. A sacrifice, a kinsman redeemer. I think of Boaz being the kinsman redeemer of Ruth. Even though Ruth was a Moabitess, she had married an Israelite, putting her in the uh, in the kinsmanship of the Israelites, and Boaz redeemed her to the men uh, to to the uh, redeemed her in that day according to the law. He, our Lord, prepared Himself. Prepared, thou hast prepared a body. He provided himself a sacrifice for his people, for you and I. For a people out of every tongue, every tribe, throughout time itself. Listen to the words of Revelation 13, 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We will see here in our following studies the whole earth bows to the one that created it. Don Fortner wrote these words about our text. He says, We who believe that which is recorded here, we adore it. We rejoice in it. We proclaim it. And we sing about it, but we will not try to prove it. How can one expect to understand and explain the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? It is enough for the believing heart to know that nothing is impossible with God. It's enough for us. We, we know that nothing is impossible with him. It, a virgin birth, that's, he created the virgin. He created everything that, that we see before us. How could, why, why would having, being a, a, a virgin birth, coming from a virgin birth, why would that be difficult for him? It's not. We believe that. We declare it. We, we understand that, that as God, nothing is too difficult or impossible for him. It's not enough for us to simply be informed, though, that we may admire the wonderful works of God. No, like Moses of old, as he stood before the burning bush, we read in Matthew 18, uh, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Wait, no, I'm sorry, misunderstood there. But we read about Matthew... Folks, you and I have been brought into, we have entered upon holy ground as we go into the word of the Lord. Let us put off our shoes of carnal curiosity, writes Don, and seek to hear what God the Lord will say. Now, we read again back in our text, Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. God the Holy Spirit prepared in the womb of the Virgin Mary a body for the Son of God. That's what we read about back there in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. His human nature was conceived in the womb of the chosen Virgin by the Holy Spirit. Listen to, what, listen to the way Luke puts it over in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, speaking to Mary, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That's the way Luke puts it there for page 4. 
There is no other way for the Christ to come into this world. He must be born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit. He had to be conceived by the seed of... Had he been conceived by the seed of a fallen sinful father, he could not have been sinless. He could not have been the sinless substitute for sinners. He was born of a virgin, born of a woman, that he might be human, but not by man, that he might be sinful. That's according to Charles Spurgeon. Folks, our Lord... Our Lord Jesus was born of a virgin that he might be brought into this world as one made of a woman, as it says in Galatians 4.4. But of an espoused woman, a lawfully betrothed virgin, so that he might be so that he might both show the sanctity of marriage and protect the honor of his mother's name. Imagine that. Marriage, it says in Hebrews 13.14, folks, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Only those who teach the doctrine of devils prohibit men from marriage. Listen to 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisies, in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath sent, created to be received with thanksgiving from them, which believe and know the truth. At the same time, folks, the Lord took care to protect Mary's name. Though he was born of a virgin, she was a married virgin. Mary's son was also her savior, and he took care. Now, I say that responsibly. Not only was he her son, he was her savior. Think about that for just a moment. As the savior of this woman, he's got to take care of her being a virgin. Otherwise, the world would think the less of her, would they not? He took care of her. He was her savior, yet he took care to protect her reputation, justifying her present, her pregnancy in the eyes of the world. Matthew Henry suggests there are three lessons that we can draw from, this, from these verses. First, those in whom Christ is formed will show it, and it will be found to be a work of God, which he will own. Now, look, with, look with me, and, and I'll, show that, I'll show this to you. Look with me over Colossians 1, verse 27. Turn to the left of Hebrews, Colossians just a couple of pages right before the Thessalonians letters. Colossians chapter 1. Look at, look at one verse with me over there if you would please. Verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Our Lord teaches us through those words that the work found in us is of Christ and it will be owned by him. Secondly, uh, Matthew Henry suggests that after a great and high advancement, lest we be puffed up with them, we must expect something or the other to humble us, something of a reproach, as Paul put it, as a thorn in the flesh to humble us and keep us from being puffed up. And then thirdly, he suggests the lesson that those who take care to keep a good conscience may cheerfully trust God with the keeping of their good names 
and have reason to hope that he will clear up not only their integrity, but their honor as the sun at noonday. I thought about, I thought about Joseph. You, you know, we all know the story of Joseph, uh, one of the twelve sons of Jacob. His brethren were jealous of him, and because of their jealousy, they made claims about him. At one point, they sold him into slavery, who took him down into Egypt. He was accused by Potiphar's wife, the jailer's wife of something. The Lord went about clearing Jacob's name up, and, and look at how Jacob is looked at in the, in the end. He's looked at as one who God was with. There, was, there were many who claimed, made claims to Joseph, and, and they were lies about him, but in the end, everyone who reads the story of Joseph sees this. They see that he was a man whom God was present with. And the Lord took him from where he was and raised him up that he would save the souls of Israel. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ was done? The Lord kept his name. And in the end of the story, we see where he sits on his throne right now. Everything he did was for the salvation of his people. Can you imagine what a problem that must have been for Joseph? the fact that Mary was pregnant. Could you imagine the problem her pregnancy presented for him? Here he was engaged to a woman who was pregnant. And he knew with certainty that he was not the father of this child. What would you do? What would you do? It says in Matthew 1.19 as we read, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. He was not willing to make her an example. Consider this wonderful example that God has given you and I. When we face those who may sin against us, Joseph's behavior exemplifies godliness. It exemplifies wisdom, and most of all, it exemplifies compassion. He saw in Mary what appeared to be a horrible, evil sin, but he did not behave rashly. Oh, how I pray my God will give me the ability to not act in a rash way. Think about that. Have I behaved in a rash way? Joseph did not. No, he patiently weighed his options as a man who sought to glorify God. He stopped and thought about what different options he had to, to act to this situation. And he thought, what could I do? How could I go about glorifying my God in this incident of sin against me? According to the law, Joseph could have done three things. Any of these three things. He could have privately given her a bill of divorcement. As we saw, he, he thought about privately putting her away. 
And he could have done that before two or three witnesses. You can read about that in the law of God in, in, in chapter 24, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Or secondly, he could, have, he could have made a public example of her and stoned her to death. Yes, that was, that was legal at that time. You know, it may be legal for us to act rashly against somebody, for us to uh, declare unto them, hey, you can't do that. That's wrong. That might be legal for you and I to do it, but is that always the way to glorify our Lord? Is that the way we should act upon that situation in glorifying our Lord? Or he could have gone ahead with his plans and marry her as we see he did. We see clearly that Joseph weighed the matter carefully with prayer before the Lord. We see that he was a just man according to God, a man who sought always to do what was right. Joseph chose not to expose what he thought to be a sin of his exposed, of his espoused wife. And though he felt he could not marry her, he chose to put her away quietly. What compassion. Do we not pray ourselves that the Lord would give us this compassion? Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He says, when we have to do a severe thing, listen to this, listen to this. When we have to make a severe call against somebody who sinned against us or a loved one, let us choose the tenderest manner we can think. Maybe we won't even have to do it at all. What an example Joseph is to you and I with his behavior. Having been forgiven, he was willing to forgive. Do you know that's what drew me to the Lord? That's what drew me to the Lord those first days, in the days that I heard the gospel preached the first time. The Lord taught me to be forgiving because he was forgiving to me. Joseph teaches us much in his behavior, having a reason to suspect the worst of Mary, yet his love for her compelled him to cover it up and refuse to expose what he thought to be sin in her. Listen, you, you remember the story of Shem and Joseph, or Japheth? They're the sons of Noah. They had another brother by the name of Ham. Noah had grown uh, an orchard uh, of grapes. And he had made wine and drank that wine and became drunken. And he was uncovered, it says, naked in his tent. And Ham had come in and seen his father naked, and he had gone out and broadcast it to everyone. See the sin? See the sin that is in my father is what he did? See what sin my, my father has done? Oh, how embarrassing. Was Ham legal to do that? Absolutely. What an embarrassment his dad had become to him in drinking himself to, drunk, to drunkenness. But his other two sons... Shem and Chepeth covered their father's sin. It says in Genesis 9, verse 23, And Shem and Chepeth took a garment and laid it upon 
both their shoulders. Now notice this. This is what they did. They didn't have to do this. They could have done as their brother. What an embarrassment my father is. Yet they laid the garment, a garment, upon their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Instead of broadcasting his nakedness, telling them, you're wrong. What you're doing is wrong against me. They covered his nakedness. They covered his sin. They acted with the compassion a son has for a loved one. They acted with compassion. May God give you and I the grace to behave like Joseph in our dealings with others, especially in our dealings with each other, the people of God. Folks, in all things, be as lenient as possible with others. Always be ready to forgive the faults of others as we read as we read in Matthew 6, verse 14, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And seek what's best for the fallen, the erring brother or sister in Christ. No matter the fault, seek restoration, not retribution. Look over at Galatians chapter 6, and then I'll bring this to a close. You've got, you're there at Colossians. Just turn to the left a couple of chapters, a couple of books, Ephesians and then Galatians. And look at chapter 6, the last chapter of Galatians. The last chapter. And I just want to read a few verses here from verse six, chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? It's the law of love. The law of works shines the sinfulness that is within our own heart. We're no longer under that law. Christ has put that law away for us. And now we're under the law of Christ, the law of love. Verse 3, For if a man think of himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. For if a man think of... Or, but, but verse 4, But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. In all things show love and grace, not judgment and condemnation. Is that not what God has done for you and I? What a wonderful, gracious God we serve. He humbled himself he left his glory for just a moment. That's what we read in John 17, 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He left his glory for a moment. 
Heaven came down. It never ceases to amaze me that all God requires of me, he has provided in his Son, the Lord Jesus. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him, in his Son, and the one who has loved us and gave himself for us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. Hebrews chapter 10, 14, we read these words. For by one offering, not one offering plus what you can do, but by one offering, the offering of the body of the Son of God, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done.